0: Then I was about 25 years old, I was uh, busted and into jail and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers, I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with author and speaker Wendy Burns. She's a transformational coach and she does a lot of work with the John Maxwell leadership team. We're going to hear a bit of her story today. Welcome along Wendy, tell us your, your backstory. where were you born and raised?
1: Hey Matt, good to be on with you today on History Makers. I was born in a little country town called Uralla in New South Wales, in between Armidale and Tamworth. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah, that's where I grew up.
0: You know, I'm a Tamworth boy. We, we could we could be neighbours.
1: Oh, we could look. I went to school for a little bit in Tamworth. We may have been in the same school. No, it was an all-girls school, so I don't oh. think so. <laughs>
0: there you go. Well, it's a good a good part of the country. And uh, were you raised there? Did you, how many years did
1: you spend there? I there till I think I was about 14 when I left, sorry you're taking me back a few years. Mm-hmm. After my father died when I was 13 we did start to get on the move, my mother and myself. So about 15 I think we landed in Sydney. So would you like me to tell you a little bit about that story Matt?
0: Yeah, tell us your story. It is it is quite a, a heavy story and we should just give a warning for any little ears any, uh, any uh, children listening, um, uh, parents uh, a parental advisory uh, for any parents listening as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It does have some, I guess, in in the world, some unspeakable things. But if we don't speak about them, nothing changes. So I was born, as I said, in a little country town called Urala. And my history is from the Gamilaroi people. So that's the the, um, uh, First Nation people from that area. We're a really dysfunctional family. Um, Three sisters, one brother. Two of them have passed away. Um, By the age of 13, my life was incredibly not okay. It was filled with physical abuse and alcoholism. But this was normal. I knew no difference. This is what life was, and that's what I thought life was all about. Um, On the particular day that really changed my life and defined where I would go, it was snowing. We used to get snow in Yerola. My parents were alcoholics, not that I knew what that was then, but they'd been drinking all day at a hotel We finally make it home later on during the day and um, my father goes into my bedroom and lies down on my bed. My mother passes out in another room. Remember, we're little children in this. Um, My father calls me in and he asks me to get him his rifle. And, you know, being an obedient daughter, that's what I was. I idolised my dad. I would have done anything he asked me to do. So why wouldn't I get him his rifle? I had no idea what he was about to do. I handed him his gun or the rifle and he said immediately, this is how you kill yourself, he put the barrel in his mouth and he blew oh, his brain out in front of me and I was 13. So the horror that I witnessed that day really was unfathomable. Um, I was the only one that saw it. I grabbed my sisters and my brother and ran out of that house. I don't know why I didn't even think about my mum, but I just didn't want them to see what I'd witnessed. And I think that's where... The the thing of control and responsibility attached itself to me because really in my mind was racing, I'd just kill my dad. Not that i pulled that trigger, but in my little 13-year-old mind, I had killed him. So guilt and shame, responsibility that wasn't mine, control attached myself that day. To me, that day as I ran down the road, it got worse. Who would have thought that that would get worse than what I'd experienced as that 13-year-old that day? We uh, stayed with an auntie and uncle that night. No counselling at all because I was 13. We're talking many years ago. Stayed with an auntie and uncle. I was already in that role of responsibility, trying to console my mum who was devastated. Finally, when she went to sleep, I I remember getting up and walking through the house crying. I was really feeling a bit um, inconsolable. I was so upset. And my dear loving uncle... Come on, come come, get into bed with me and um, let, me, let me cuddle you, let me console you. And what his way of doing that was to sexually assault me. So not only was, did I witness that horror of my father, um, he sexually assaulted me that night. My auntie came in and caught him and blamed me. So right then and there, I, my heart was in so much pain and so was my body. And I was 13. Mm. I know it's a, a big story, but that's just a short nutshell of it.
0: Wow. I mean, I can't begin to imagine uh, the trauma that you must have been going through at that time. Tell us a bit more of your journey. Um, what uh, What was your, your teenage years like after that incident?
1: Uh, terrible. My teenage years were pretty horrid. Um, I picked up that responsibility of control for my, my sisters and brother, my mum. My, my brothers and sisters um, the two youngest ones and then my youngest brother were put into an orphanage because my mum was drinking so much and of course we were you know the authorities were looking at us then because of what had happened my eldest sister ran away because she couldn't cope with it all at all my mum had lost her drinking partner so she decided that I would become her drinking partner so between you know the age of up 13 and um, and 15 really I would would often be drunk because you're just climbing with alcohol. So life was pretty ordinary, to say the least. It was pretty um, difficult. By the age of 15 now, we're in Sydney. Um, my mum was out of control. I was trying to help her as much as I can. She was addicted to a, a drug that my father used to use. Uh, he had uh, cancer, so he used to use that to kill the pain of cancer. Uh, and then one day, um, I just couldn't take it anymore and I had to admit it to hospital. And from then on, I decided I needed to move out. I couldn't make any difference to her. I still, my life was still spinning out of control. Really, Matt, until I was 34.
0: So, I mean, it really is an incredible story. Uh, I know that there was a big change in your life at the age of 34. Tell us what happened next.
1: Thanks, Matt. Look, just before I go there, I just want to recap on a little bit of what I've already shared. So here I was, I was at 13. My father committed suicide. On my seventeenth birthday, my mother also took her own life so yes as as I was saying, my life was spinning out of control but what was happening for me is we repeat as adults what we see uh, as children so you know in in my childhood in my teenage years i'd seen this pattern of behavior from my family uh the actions of those that were really close to me that you know number one that when life got too much you could choose to to, to make a decision to take it or not, which we know is not not the the right way, but also I picked up all that guilt and shame, that worthlessness. All that baggage that I'd carried, not only that, I'd picked up the responsibility uh, for others' actions. And I think we do that, don't we, so much. We pick up the responsibility for something somebody else has done and think we need to change it. And that becomes the the baggage that we carry. And for me, I carried that baggage into my first marriage, uh, which ended up failing, and then into my second marriage so here I am. I'm 34. This baggage is so heavy. Not only am I carrying that generational inheritance of suicide and alcoholism from my parents, because that's what I'd inherited, but I was starting to also go down that same road. So for me, there was a real realization that if I wanted this to be different for my children, then something needed to change. So the only thing that I could think to do was to go to church. So I went to a little Anglican church uh, in Newcastle to these graceful, loving people that uh, I'm sure I turned up there and I was um, hungover uh, because I was developing the same patterns as my parents. One night I was invited to go and listen to a speaker in the city of Newcastle um, and I wasn't going to go, why would I do that? But you know the Holy Spirit moves in mysterious ways, right? When God is calling you, he's calling you. Mm. And I went and it changed my life. I sat in that pew, and when they did an altar call, I think I was the first one out, I was literally literally drawn to go out and be prayed for. When God gets our attention, he really does. That night, the lady that prayed for me said to me, your heavenly father knows the guilt you carried over your father's death. These people didn't know me. They didn't know my story. Wow. They didn't know the guilt I carried. Yeah, like, God got my attention. I, I there was somebody that knew the guilt that I'd carried. Even my husband didn't know that. My family didn't know that. So God got my attention that night. Um, did I you know, did I wake up the next day in different circumstances? No way. I woke up in the same circumstances, but what I woke up was with a seed of hope. That there was somebody bigger and greater that knew what had happened and the guilt that I'd carried. My life changed.
0: And tell me a bit about the journey of forgiveness Because you know There must have been A lot of unforgiveness In your heart From what had happened how, how did you How did you learn To forgive
1: Oh look That's a journey In itself isn't it And it's not An immediate journey And it's Something we do have to do. It took me Quite a long time Because I still had to deal With all the stuff In my life That baggage Because we know um, Our baggage Empowers our past And it won't allow us To define our future So so Forgiveness It started with my dad uh, realizing that for me to be free from from still the guilt I carried, even though I'd accepted Jesus, I still have to deal with the guilt. And, you know, for me, forgiving him. But also the biggest thing, and I think it's the thing we really struggle with, Matt, is forgiving ourselves mm. for our role or our perceived role in a circumstance that has affected us or it's affected somebody else. So forgiving my dad uh, was a big journey. Forgiving my mum. Uh, for not rescuing me in that and allowing me to be the adult when she was. But then forgiving myself was where the real release came. So that there could be a different generational inheritance for my family, and truly, I don't know how you do that without uh, the Holy Spirit and, and the, the presence of the Lord in your life, because I know that's what uh, was imparted to me to be able to do it. And caring, loving people within my church, uh, my my circle of influence, when I you know finally realise that for things to change, then I really needed it to uh, to. Go down that road of forgiveness because here I was, 34, made the decision to accept Jesus. It was many, many many years on that I realized that I still needed to go through this. I still carried, I sat in church, still contemplating suicide. Because the thing about these things we're talking about, that generational inheritance of suicide, guilt and shame, we don't share it. Why would we share that? Because people will think less of us when we really, that's a lie of the enemy. We need to share where we're at. We need to talk about what's going on inside of us. And that's when the real healing can begin. I heard a quote from somebody last night on one of my calls, and um, he said that he heard he's in Andy Stanley's church in America, and he said, You can't, we don't get a do over. And unless we actually face the demons in our lives, they go to the cellar of our souls and they lift weights. And I love that. I thought, isn't that true? Mm. Unless we deal with the stuff that has attached, our, attached itself to us, we can't fully walk into the journey that God has for us.
0: Well, it really is an incredible story of, uh, you know, a horrific start to life, but through God's redeeming love and power, uh, a transformational story. Uh, you've now written a book about it called Remarkable You, and you're also working as a A transformational coach with the uh, John Maxwell leadership team tell us what life's like for you now
1: life could not be any more different than what it was as a child but I I wrote my story because I thought God had led me to write it that this was a story that needed to be shared um, because we know the power of our story is important it's a testimony and you know what that we all have one we all have a story that is transformational in some form doesn't have to be as big as mine or it can be bigger or smaller but it is a story to be shared. I joined um, I worked in government for 20 years still working through all this baggage when I finally left government I started my own consultancy and in that role I realized that there was more that I needed and as God does he led me to the John Maxwell team we call it JMT and I call it, for me, it's Jesus Mission Team. Um, I, it's uh, it's changed my life. Uh, the minute I walked into the room the first time I went to America to a certification event, I knew I was home. I knew God had brought me there to be part of this, uh, move its significance to change the world, to bring transformation uh, and it transformed me. Look, I, I went to Paraguay with John and a small group of coaches uh, to work on bringing transformation to the nation of Paraguay. And you know what? As much as we did transformation, it, it transformed me because it, it, it led me to see that there is we can bring about change. And what what I do as a transformational coach is I believe in inside-out leadership. What's inside of us matters. And it'll eventually come out of us. So we need to work on what's in us—our values, our moral character, uh, all of those important things—so that it then impacts those people around us. So that requires us to have, you know, a, a wise inner circle. You know, to continually grow, to continually work in those areas of character, knowing our values and defining them, and really knowing the purpose that we are here on this earth for.
0: The good thing about these days is that, you know, even though you're based in Darwin and you, you're a coach uh, in, in that city, you, you can Zoom anywhere, you can Skype anywhere. So if, if people <laughs> want to find out more, um, they can set up a Zoom or a Skype uh, consulting meeting with you. Uh, if the, the website is Wendy Burns or they can search up Wendy Burns at Facebook. Uh, and uh, find out more about uh, this wonderful book, too, called Remarkable You. Uh, and uh, I just I just want to say thank you so much for being so honest and open with us sharing your story. It's amazing what God has done in your life. And, uh, Wendy, I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Uh,
1: thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show.
0: If you'd like to hear this conversation again, listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com. You'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater. And my challenge to you now is to go and make history. This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League.